Hello, everybody. Welcome back to my channel and my series on addiction and narcissistic abuse. As many of you know, I have been interviewing all different kinds of people and uh, talking about addiction primarily. I think that that is a big one, um, probably more common than narcissistic abuse. And um, Gab has been very helpful in this. I have found a lot of people on Gab that are uh, willing to talk about this issue. So I am joined today by Maximus, a fellow blabber who is going to share his story with us on addiction. Awesome. It's good to be yeah. here. Thank you for having me on. Thanks. Um, if you want to just give a little introduction uh, and tell us about yourself, that'd be great. Okay. Um, yeah, my name is Maximus. Um, I'm a 23 year old Orthodox Christian. Um, I've been Orthodox for about a year, so I'm still a catechumen. Um, so I will be baptized as Maximus, but my spiritual father had asked that I, uh, remain somewhat anonymous. Yes. Um, so I'm going to respect that. Um, but yeah, I'm a, I'm a musician, um, you know, and, uh, I'm doing my best to follow Christ. I, uh, have experienced addiction pretty much my entire life since I was uh, about 12 years old. And I actually have suffered narcissistic abuse as well from, um, my mother specifically. So we can get into that a little bit too. Oh, we probably relate. <laughs> <laughs> my mother, uh, I'm not sure. Well, I haven't met anybody yet that can kind of top her crazy, but you never know. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I am also sort of a, a baby in the faith. I was raised Catholic and I uh, went to Catholic school and, um, you know, I had, uh, I had a period of time where I like, I moved away from the church uh, and I thought like all organized religion was bad. Um, one of our priests was a pedophile at the Catholic school I went to, and he was always weird. Like I, he never molested me or anything, but he used to make us like kiss him on the cheek. And for some reason, I thought that was very creepy. Like even at a young age, I knew that there was something weird about the way he did it. Like it was not like yeah. a, there was something off about it. Not that like kissing somebody on the cheek is inappropriate or wrong, especially mm -hmm. like a priest or something like that. But there was just something off about him where like my spidey sense was like, I don't like this guy. <laughs> and right. um, they told us that he that his mother was sick and like he had to go back to Ireland to take care of her. And I think they even raised money to like send him off and um, they just moved him. It turns out to another parish and covered up like what he was doing. And it was years later that it came out that he was a pedophile. And so that experience was very upsetting for me, you know, that that this was just kind of covered up, swept under the rug, and they just moved him somewhere else where he could do the same stuff. So I, that was something that was yeah, very upsetting for me, but yeah, I never a had a, sure. yeah, I never had a time where like, I didn't believe in Jesus or anything like that. I just started thinking that like all churches were corrupt or something. Um, and so it was only through a friend a couple years ago that I found orthodoxy and a lot of my issues with Catholicism uh, were addressed by my priest and we talked about them and uh, I don't see the same issues there. So I think it's just been um, such a blessing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. I mean, I, 
like I actually have a friend. He was Catholic. Recently, he left his church because his priest um, was molesting boys. And he had been to, you know, liturgy with me before and he, he enjoyed it. But he's about two hours away from the nearest Orthodox church. So it's a it's a messy situation. But that's hard. Yeah. I mean, I um, I can't say the same that like I didn't ever that I uh, had a point where I didn't believe or didn't have a point where um, I guess like there were I wasn't consistently Christian. I mean, I, I dabbled in the occult actually quite a bit up until right before I uh, converted. And, uh, yeah, (laughs) like literally a week before I was practicing, um, you know, magic and, uh, you know, letting demons into my life and that, uh, yeah, it was, it was, yeah, it was, uh, you know, it was an intense conversion experience because I went from literally switching sides, you know, I I switched teams and, um, so, I mean, yeah, it's a miracle that I'm here, but I was, you know, we'll get into it a little bit, but yeah, right before I converted, I was like you know, getting back into stimulants, meth specifically. And so, you know, just the fact that I converted um, from a place like that without any connection to Christ whatsoever is just beyond me. Yes, that's that wasn't you. <laughs> right, right. That yeah, yeah, yeah no, it. it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> glory to God, for sure. Yes, it's just exactly. Like it's, I just, yeah, I just don't understand it. Um, it's so and, funny uh, how that happens. Yeah, I'm, you know, the least deserving, but it's completely flipped my life, um, like 180. And, uh, you know, slowly over time, different things that I was doing, because I was still physically dependent on um, specifically Xanax. And do you know what Subutex is? Yes, yes. Yeah, so I was physically dependent on both of those things the day that I stepped into the church. So like, the more I kind of stuck around and uh, started to feel, you know, my inner disposition kind of change about different things, the more I felt uncomfortable with those things that I was doing, uh, even though, you know, it was a crutch uh, and something that was dragging me down, my body needed it. And so, I mean, I suffered seizures. Like I went to the hospital a couple of times because the subutex withdrawals, I, uh, the Xanax withdrawals, I had seizures. And then the subutex withdrawals, I uh, was sick for, 30 days, like could not eat anything, couldn't drink. So I had to go to the hospital because I was dehydrated. Uh, it was brutal. For Jeez, sure. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, well, you know, uh, I have talked to other people um, who went from the uh, occult to to Orthodox Christianity. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Michael Whitcoff, um, his oh, yeah, channel, no, I, Brother Augustine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, love, I love this stuff. Yeah. So he, he had a wild story too of like, you know, he, I think he did some website for like one of these like Satanist organizations. I think it was called like the joy of Satan or something like that. <laughs> I mean, talk Edgy. about like spiritual delusion. Um, right. And he, he, he's able to laugh about it now, which is a good thing, but he just had a really interesting story too. And, you know, I don't mm-hmm. see, um, I don't see many like Orthodox Christians go- leaving the church to go into the occult. It seems to be people that are in that kind of spiritual delusion. Like they eventually make their way to Christ. Yeah. That's more common, you know, um, which is very interesting. 
I, while I never had a period of time where I like didn't believe in, in Jesus, I did have a time of spiritual delusion where I thought like hermeticism was like true Christianity or something. Like (laughs) I thought it was like Christian mysticism and same with like alchemy, um, which was just absolutely retarded. But, um, you know, that was during my phase of like organized religion is bad, you know, and um, (laughs) and all the lies that they tell you about, like how Christianity was actually derived from blah, 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 just all kinds of nonsense. And I tried to like look into that stuff, but I never had like a time where I, I didn't believe in Christ. I always believed in him and I just thought maybe they were lying to us about him and and the stories that they told weren't true. And none of that obviously was the case. I kept coming mm-hmm. back to like, this is just stupidity. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, but I'm know. very there's, there's familiar with this stuff. To, yeah. there, there's all types of demonic lies. And the, the whole purpose of it is to get you away from like the true salvific um, aspect of Christianity. So as long as like Jesus isn't, you know, um, who he proclaims to be uh, in Christianity, then it doesn't really matter what kind of, you know, Jesus you have. And like, right. there was a point where I was like, kind of like, you know, into Gnosticism and stuff. I mean, I, I, well, I mean, less so like into Gnosticism, more like my, the idea of Christ that I had was more like Gnostic. Um, like I, I, there was like a point in my life where I was an edgy Satanist when I was younger. Cause I went, I had like a, atheist phase when i was like 13 and then after that like atheism kind of serves as um i don't know like a pipeline to darker things so like i went from atheism to like satanism like levain satanism which anton levay was not an atheist he was he was a liar i mean he's trying to destroy people's souls but and then from there that opened the the path to the occult because i i feel like you know the staunch materialist kind of um you know philosophy is really stupid and i think everyone innately kind of knows that there's something else than what we can you know touch and feel and so after i got out of the kind of atheist mindset it oh like and i believed in spiritual things it kind of opened me up to have spiritual experiences completely outside of christ which is going to lead you to, to demons and stuff. So. Yes, absolutely. Um, and I think drugs probably ties into that. It's probably yeah, a good way to segue. 100%. Yeah. Into that discussion. Cause I know people do things like, um, <laughs> like MDMA or like mm. peyote and all this other stuff, trying to have like a mystical experience. And that's not how it works. You know, you're, you'll encounter right. something, but it's not anything good <laughs> you'll encounter entities, but they're demons. Um, yeah. So uh, I think that's very sad. Um, and you're in yeah. people seeking for like contact with God that they end up, uh, contacting demons, but, um, right. yeah, let's start at the beginning, start, uh, how you first started uh, using substances. Um, what was the first thing that you tried? Um, okay. So, yeah. So the first thing I ever tried was smoking weed. And I think I was about 12 years old um Jeez. i was yeah i mean i was interested in it because my my older brother smoked and um i just thought it was kind of cool and like you know there's like those late night movies where they make like stoners seem just like you know fun and interesting and 
And, uh, you know, that seemed like just something to do. And I, at that point, you know, like I said, my mother, um, you know, she was pretty, I don't know, she, she has some like mental health problems, like bipolar and stuff. And she, uh, you know, would be extremely brutal on me. Like she even like, maybe she's a teacher and she, uh, made me write down, um, an essay on how I'm a narcissist. Uh, for basically no reason and you know it was kind of projection but she would also make me uh like force me to read the bible and show how these parts applied to like how broken i was which there could be application to that but you know i was like a, a little kid and i'm being you know this stuff is being you know pushed on me um right. you know for just small things but anyway so i was grounded a lot um and so i just decided if i can't hang out with my friends I'm going to go sneak out. And so I started hanging out with, you know, worse people, um, older kids that were just kind of losers. Um, and I snuck out one day. This is the first time I smoked weed. I snuck out and went to this kid's house. He was like, I think he was like one of the 15 year old kids or something. And he uh, gave me, he like, we, he rolled a joint and he passed it to me and I hit it. And, you know, I didn't really feel it, but I just felt that it was like, I felt cooler doing it. And, um, you know, that just kind of started my intrigue into that kind of stuff. And so, uh, I would sneak out often and smoke weed and get pretty high, especially like I did it a couple of times when I was 12, but I really started whenever I was about 13 and my parents found out, um, I don't really remember how they found out, but they, they drug tested me and, um, they decided to send me away to a, uh, a rehab in Arkansas. Um, and I was completely away from, you know, anyone that I knew. And I was the youngest person in the facility because I think the age group was originally supposed to be 14 to 18 and I was 13, but they made an exception for me. So most (laughs) of the kids there were about like 16 to 18, I'd say. And they were all doing like actual, like, like, I don't, I, I don't think weed is, um, a good thing. Like, I don't think people should be smoking weed, but, but the people hunky, hold on. Sorry. My cat's meowing. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So like a bunch of the kids that were there were doing meth and psychedelics and MDMA. And, uh, they would kind of like mess with me because I was there for weed and, you know, like you're, you know, so you're bizarre. Just here for weed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They would, yeah, they would, they would uh, mess with me. So like, I, but I learned a lot about drugs. Like there was well, you yeah. know, a few people <laughs> like, and I, I was like, Oh, these actually oh, the MDMA. That sounds like fun. You know? And I just kind of had, after I left that place, I had like, I don't know. It was like a goal for me to try all of these things. I was there for like 90 days. And um, so whenever I got out, you know, I was still in middle school, so I didn't have access to drugs that much, but I had a friend that, um, was prescribed Adderall. And so we were like little shitheads and we decided to take it during uh, class. And I really enjoyed that. But then once I came home, um, my dad, he used to do speed when he was younger. So he, uh, he noticed it immediately. Oh, wow. And and they sent me back to that place. And so, yeah. And so like, um, whenever I, I got there, I just couldn't really do it again, you know, cause it was kind of, um, like a military style place. 
and it, it was just kind of brutal like you know they're like I was just getting picked on the whole time and you know it was like uh being an outcast in a group of outcasts so it was like I don't know right levels that, to <laughs> sounds sort of like the family um which was like a cult like recovery group that was around in like the 80s and 90s um it was very popular i think in the late 80s early 90s but they used like bullying and peer pressure and like weird things to try to like control people um and yeah. they didn't really assist anyone in recovery it was more like a money making venture and trying to keep the kids there as long as possible and um you know just bizarre stuff <laughs> there's a documentary on it it's creepy i'll have to check that i mean it was a strange place they uh like i don't know the the counselor that i had like she was you know uh, all of them were recovering addicts or whatever and uh the counselor that i had was always trying to be like sexy to the like the like younger kids because everyone was like you know everyone's like you know going through puberty and all that or like you know they're you know they're boys and they haven't seen a girl in a long time and she kind of like played off of that. It was really weird. And she was like in her forties and like, just oh, like looking gross. back on it, it was, yeah. I was like, what are you doing? Like, she, yeah, she'd always talk about sexual stuff, but it, it was, Ooh. yeah, it was bizarre. <laughs> it was, it was very strange. But whenever I went there the second time, um, you know, I, uh, I really, I just couldn't do it again. And me and this kid decided that we were going to run away. And so we like packed up our stuff. And I guess someone told on us, so they took our shoes for a day. And then once they gave us back our shoes, we ran out. And so that's like whenever I started getting experienced more drugs because we ran and there was cops looking for us everywhere. We were hopping fences and um, we ran to these kids. And it was this is like in the hood in Arkansas. So I was like the only white person in this area. And um, there was a group of kids that just saw that we didn't belong out there and so they asked us what was going on they let us actually come in and you know they like smoked us out and gave us one of the kids uh he like pulled out 30 pills which were it was robitussin like dxm and he gave it to me and i never i didn't know what it was and he's like hey just take these and he gave me 30 pills and i was like all of them and he said yeah so oh, i geez. took all of them <laughs> yeah I took all of them like an idiot and then um, got really messed up. And it turns out he gave me the wrong kind because it had like blood thinners in it. And I ended up, yeah, I had like, we were smoking with them and I like started like seeing black a little bit. Like my vision just kind of started getting like tunneling and I stood up because we were going back inside and everything just went black and I just hear them say like, Oh shit, are you good? And I said, Oh my bad. I tripped over a rock. Cause I just knew that I was on the ground. I didn't know what happened. And they were like, there's no rocks. We're still like inside. <laughs> and I was like, Oh shit. And then I just see myself out of my body and they're picking me up and I'm staring down at myself. And I just remember thinking like, this is how it ends, you know? And I'm like, uh, 13 14 years old my memory is not the not the best but I just remember looking down at my body and like that's this is how you know the story ends and then they're carrying my lifeless body inside and then once they get me on the couch they're trying to like give me water and bread 
And I just, uh, I hear them say, what do we do with his body if he dies? And then I like snapped into my body and it was intense because like, you know, you know, these people, I don't know. I mean, these were losers, you know, they, but they were like totally ready to just dump me out because they knew that I ran away and stuff. They're ready to just throw away my body. Like it was, you know, nothing. And I'm, you know, it was, it was intense. So I had to like, I had to get out of there and I ended up breaking into an abandoned house. And, uh, you know, I had, I, uh, the kid that I was with, he stole one of their phones so he could call his, his uh, family and he got picked up and I was, I was walking around trying to like find something to eat. Cause I hadn't showered or eaten in a few days. I think I was out there for, for about like four days total. Oh my and, gosh. um, yeah. So like I'm walking around, you know, and there, I found those kids. So I walked up to them just to, you know, see if I could get some food or something. And I saw there's, there is a group of black kids, um, like down the street. And one of them came up to one of the guys that was with me and he like they were talking about something he was just shaking the guy that was with me was shaking his head at him and then he left like and went back the black guy went back to his friends and the dude that I was with looked at me and he said you need to either run or get ready and I was like what is that supposed to mean (laughs) like I don't know where I am and then next thing I know um the, the guy comes back and he's like squaring up to me and this dude's like he's at least 17 years old you know, these are, or these are like big black dudes. I'm like a, a prepubescent white kid, you know, and it was, uh, and so like, I was like, I'm not going to fight you, man. And, you know, they, I turned around and they just started swinging in and I got, you know, I got jumped. And so after that point, you know, I was just, you know, I was in a, a low spot spiritually and um, I just, you know, felt like worse than dirt. And I was like, all right, I need to call my dad. I need to just get out of here. So um, I, but I do remember, it's actually interesting looking back because I thought this guy was an asshole at the time, but I was walking and I'm crying. I'm all beat up and haven't showered. He can probably smell me all the way from his yard. And he's like mowing his lawn. And he just looked at me and he said, Hey, Jesus loves you. And I was like, I was just like, screw you, dude. Like, you know, <laughs> like I'm, I'm all beat up. You know, it's like, I, I don't need to hear that right now. I like need some help, but like, you know, um, you know, looking at back at that, it's actually kind of profound, but, uh, so yeah, my dad picked me up, uh, you know, and we didn't talk for a little while, um, cause they didn't really know what to do with me. Um, and they, uh, you know, I was just getting into shit like bad shit already, you know, and I was really young and a lot of this had to do with, you know, the fact that I had experienced, you know, abuse, uh, like physically and sexually and stuff when I was a younger kid. So they just like, had no idea how to, you know, deal with me like lashing out in, the, in these ways. And they right. were, they were starting to separate at this point. Like they were getting ready for the divorce and everything. So it was just a rough situation. So I, um, when I came back, um, I did good for a while. Like I didn't, you know, do any drugs or anything, but once I got into high school, I started smoking weed like all the time. And, um, then, you know, my mom, because I had, you know, social anxiety and like issues with depression and stuff, or that's what they, they didn't see like the spiritual like root of that kind of stuff. Right. Um, because around the point, I'm kind of all over the place. Like my, uh, my story might not be hundred percent linear. So I might like jump back to places, but 
I um, basically around the time that my parents started like split and were divorcing, um, they we were like in a Protestant kind of church, like a non-denominational uh, church deal. And I had already believed that this stuff wasn't true. Um, like I was, I don't know. I kind of understood by the time I was like 13 that maybe God's real or something, but this isn't what the truth is because none of it made any sense. The way that I understood, you know, Christ was, you just believe that this man existed and then you're good. Like you ascend, you ascend to heaven through some kind of knowledge that we're given and that's it. And you're saved and you're good. You don't have to worry about anything, you know? And that, that didn't make sense to me. I was like, what, what, like, you know, so it just seemed like all, all BS. So I just kind of took it as that. I, at first I was like kind of agnostic. And then I got into like around this time when I was uh, 15, I was like edgy atheist. God's not real. It's all just a delusion. You guys are just too afraid to admit that you don't actually know all the answers. Uh, science disproves God, whatever's, you know, immature, stupid stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and then like I started like to be edgy, to like own the Christians. I uh, got into like <laughs> Satanism and stuff because, you know, just to like, I don't know, I guess make my family members upset and I don't know, just be rebellious, I guess. Right. And, um, yeah, so like I started, I was like smoking weed and like started getting interested in uh, reading about like Buddhism. And then I started getting interested in like psychonaut stuff around that time too. When I was about 15, I started like reading into like Terrence McKenna and you know, all this hippie nonsense. Were like, you reading like Peter J. Carroll? No, no, no <laughs> I wasn't. But you know, I was just like, it wasn't, I wasn't even getting into, you know, heady intellectual stuff. I was mainly just like, reading trip reports and watching videos on youtube and thought that i was like smarter than everyone (laughs) (laughs) it's like really really retarded but like i uh by the time i was 16 that's whenever i had my first like experience with uh research chemicals do do you know anything about those um what kind like 25i and bme um no i did know about some something they would mix with ecstasy it was like c2b or something uh yeah 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 yeah. so like okay so um gosh i've done that (laughs) yeah me too me too so like the 2c chemicals are actually a lot more um researched on and have a longer history of human use than the two five chemicals Okay. basically they're like they, i think the, i think the first i might be wrong but i think the first uh, human use recorded is in um like 2002 or something so they're really new and uh whenever i was in high school these things just kind of started blowing up because they're really cheap mm. and and they got you really high um but they're really bad for your brain um and there's t- been tons of people who have overdosed on them but I ended up, I, I took it and I watched uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. That was horrifying. A, that's a terrible movie. Mm-hmm. I, tried, I watched that movie. I tried to watch that movie not too long ago just to like kind of break it down and like, you know, try to like read the like symbolism and stuff. That movie is demonic, dude. Like, I don't know, like it, uh, it, it hits differently whenever you have like a Christian understanding of things. But anyways, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, uh, I don't know. I, I really enjoyed 
you know, the experience of kind of being like out of my head and, and feeling like I, you know, had had these, you know, this uh, spiritual experience that like I kind of understood the reality outside of myself more. And I right. kind of I became like obsessed with it. And so, um, you know, I, I got really big into psychedelics and MDMA by the time I was um, like, I, I basically, so I moved back in with my dad and uh, because my mom kicked me out for not taking Prozac and Risperdal, like I wouldn't take it because Jeez. it, yeah, it messed with my head and uh, it was just, it was like those kinds of medications don't do anything. They don't even actually get to the spiritual root of the issue. Like Correct. these problems are like, they're trying to fix the, the chemical impulses in your brain, but they're not actually getting to what's behind the chemical reactions that you're having. Cause that's not the right. cause of it. Like the exactly. chemical reactions are not the cause of the issue. The cause is your soul and man's inner disposition towards God. And like all the anxieties that man feels actually father Sarah from Rose and uh, nihilism. He says something along the lines of um, the anxiety of modern man is the soul returning to the nothingness from which God created, which I thought whenever I read that, I was like, you know, that's it. Like, that's really what's going on. Cause man is like, you know, we've removed ourselves so far from the, like the logos, like the, mm -hmm. the logic and order of reality. That's a person where we've moved so far from that, that, you know, we are miserable and we're removed from the source of life. So yeah. anyways, I wouldn't take that stuff because it <clears throat> messed with my head. And, um, she kicked me out because she at this point like she left the protestant church she realized she decided that it was all bs and she um you know like both my parents and my dad he um he told me that after my mom divorced him he said that like god's not real and at this point and whenever he said that to me i uh you know i was like i i had already kind of been through that breakdown you know and uh, it was sad to see my my dad like that and i you know i had to kind of be there you know for him through that but i didn't have the answers either you know i thought at this point like whenever i started doing psychedelics and stuff i was like i had the belief that god is like a force and that you know it god is a is an impersonal you know being right. that you know it's it's not it's it's not a person who you can have a direct relationship you know and but i kind of made god into you know my own image because i um uh, you know started worshiping things that i that i enjoyed namely like music and um you know different just different creative things in myself my own will you know i um and that's whenever i started getting into magic you know the idea that i could imprint my will on reality mm -hmm. and kind of you know uh manipulate the you know this world through my you know my own desires that was really intriguing to me and um, so I was doing psychedelics a lot. I was actually started like selling mushrooms and ecstasy and acid. Um, I hadn't, you were talking about MDMA. I had an experience uh, one time where I, I started doing DMT and stuff and I, uh, I took some MDMA and it didn't hit me at all. Like for an hour, really? my, my friends, oh, yeah, okay. my friends were rolling really hard and, um, and it just wasn't coming to me and i had some dmt so i decided to smoke some of that and um i broke through really hard and i saw um a being who described himself to me he said you know me as um, satan 
and he was telling me not to worry and that uh, he didn't want me to worship him. He just wanted me to find like the God within myself, which, you know, is like, you know, <laughs> yeah, it was, dude, it was, dude, it was of really course. Intense. Yeah. Yeah. It was really intense. And I'm not, I'm not going to say that it was for sure Satan. I mean, I have no idea. It definitely was some kind of demon, but right. Demons um, always lie anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, but the weird thing is I, uh, you know, I felt like kind of comforted in a weird way. And then whenever I came back and at this point it had been like, I should definitely have been feeling the MDMA at this point, but whenever I came back into my body, um, I was rolling like super hard. It was really strange, but you know, um, yeah. So I was like selling, I was selling drugs at this point and I kind of was in a position where I had to drop out of school because I had signed myself into school. My parents had kicked me out because I was doing dumb shit. Like my dad had kicked me out. He had tried to, you know, help me. And I wasn't really in a place to want that. So I was kind of bouncing around from friend's house to friend's house. And I got kicked out of school for selling weed. And then uh, they wouldn't let me sign myself into alternative school. So the cops came to the house that I was staying at and told me that um, I had to sign myself out of school or they would, um, they would uh, give me a ticket for a truancy. So I dropped out. This is, this is about junior year. I dropped out and yeah, I'm like full-time selling drugs and stuff. And I end up getting to um, doing, I tried heroin for the first time around this time. And I, I jump back. I, I'm sorry. I'm terrible with like telling stories in a linear way, but I, at this point, by the time that I'm about 17, I had already like tried meth and uh, sold cocaine and just done, I'd done a lot of things. Uh, mm-hmm. I wasn't necessarily like addicted to one drug or found something that I liked so much that I was doing it all the time, but I had done a lot of things and I decided to try heroin just to like do it, I guess. Like Mm -hmm. I thought that that I just wanted, I I had the mindset of like, I have to try everything because I only have this one life and I need to experience all of it, live my life (laughs) to the fullest by doing heroin. (laughs) So (laughs) that is absolutely retarded. But so like we, uh, there was this junkie girl that I knew and I basically got her to get me some and I, uh, I snorted it for the first time. And then we decided like me and my friend that I was with, we decided we were only going to do it one time. Right. So we were like, all right, well, we'll just, you know, why not shoot it up? So we did that, um, on MDMA and I enjoyed it. (laughs) Yeah. I enjoyed it a lot. Um, you know, obviously I think most people do. I think that's why it's so bad, but, um, and I actually, I hadn't done it I, I did wait a little bit of time until I did it again. Um, so I guess I kind of like tricked myself into thinking I was, I was good. And so I, I tried it a few more times and um, I uh, ended up buying a house with some friends. And at this point I was buying all my drugs off of the deep web. So I didn't have to go through anyone. I, uh, and I made a lot of money cause it's pretty cheap. So I buy acid and ecstasy mainly. And um you know, we had basically, you know, a trap house uh, for hippies and shit. And I didn't like hippies. I, and I st- it's odd because, like, I hated degenerates, but I was a degenerate myself, you know. <laughs> but, like, <laughs> like, I was, you know, and I had, you know, like, right-wing sensibilities. But I, you know, was still a hedonist and, like, doing hard drugs. I just kind of, like, tricked myself into thinking that I was, like, better than everyone right i'm not like like those degenerates (laughs) yeah Yeah, exactly i'm a degenerate that like uh, i'm a base degenerate and it's really really stupid but um you know i um 
uh, you, I would go to festivals and I was making a lot of money um, selling this stuff. And eventually I got caught up. Uh, this girl that I went to school with, she uh, hooked me up with a NARC and I uh, sold it to him one time and totally, I felt weird about him and I totally forgot. And uh, I went on a road trip to Colorado and then I came back and I was still kind of dabbling with the heroin at this point. Um, like it definitely wasn't good, but I wasn't dependent on it. Um, and then whenever I came back to, to the state that I'm in, um, he, he hit me up again and he asked for a hundred pills and I met him down the street. And next thing I know, there's SWAT everywhere. Right. Um, and I got guns in my face. They're slamming me against the car and I'm just, you know, I'm fucked. So they, uh, went through my house and, um, you know, I, I'm looking out the car window and I'm seeing all my friends there. And, um, they, uh, one of the cops said, basically, um, do you're looking at 15 to 20 years because I had a thousand pills of ecstasy and a good deal of acid in my house. And he was like, you're looking at you know, 15 to 20 years, even on, um, you know, your first charge. Wow. And uh, he said, you know, if you got, if you're willing to work with us, um, we can help you. Like you can get back home today. I was like, dude, what? So I um, basically, they wanted my help with getting them information on the deep web, which these narcs were kind of retarded because it's not that hard to set up an account on any dark net market. Right. And then, and then they, uh, they basically said, we want you to get heroin dealers for us. Um, like we want like, big guys and you're gonna have to like be around these people and you know that's terrifying yeah yeah it was really intense and like you know i at this point you know like being when i was like a drug dealer and stuff i had like a you know i didn't feel good about you know having to like be a informant or whatever but i was looking at like 20 years and you know i had to do what i had to do to stay alive because i mean you can't see me right now but i'm like a you know i'm a skinny white kid i would definitely get uh you know, my booty ravished or something, but <laughs> anyways. Um, so yeah, I'm at this point, I was, I just turned 19 and, um, I had to, uh, I already had a liking to heroin. I already had experience with it. Mm-hmm. So whenever I would go buy it and at this point, you know, I'm, I'm down bad, really. I mean, I'm super depressed. You know, my life went from being pretty cool. I had a lot of money, you know, all these kind of earthly things. And then now I'm like, I have 90 days to get this quota for these uh, cops or my whole life is, is gone. And so it's a really stressful situation and I'm going to the trap house and I'm buying heroin to get the uh, trust with these, you know, like uh, for lack of a better term, um, hood niggas. And <laughs> like they were, uh, <laughs> they were, you know, they were like actual gang members, you know, um, yes. and so basically I wasn't going to throw away the heroin I was getting. So I was using it and that's whenever I got like seriously addicted to it. And, um, you know, I, I did that and, um, and by the time that I was able to get out of that situation, which, um, you know, was, was hard, I was seriously dependent on it to the point where when people and from this hood like thought I was a snitch and like wanted 
to kill me, I still actually went out there to like try to get it. <sighs> and um, yeah, like put my life in serious, serious danger. And um, I had um, basically we got kicked out of that house that I was renting out. Um, the the landlord came by and saw a bunch of people on drugs and, you know, wanted us gone. I went to go live with a friend of mine um, and was basically back to crashing on his couch, completely addicted to heroin. <sighs> and um, my girlfriend that I was with at the time uh, cheated on me on uh, around like Thanksgiving. And I didn't really have good relationships with my family. So I was really depressed and I kind of um, basically uh, intentionally overdosed like it was like i looked at i looked at the amount that i was going to shoot up and i like thought i remember thinking like this could kill me and i don't really care and um right. you know if it does it does and so i fell out uh, next thing i know i'm on i'm on a gurney and um you know i have acid in my pocket and the cop pulls in and he, he pulls it out of my pocket he's like oh look what we have here and then they close the doors and take me to they actually they took me to the, the hospital but because i i uh, i told the lady in the ambulance that i wish i would have died they actually put me in a psych ward which oh saved my, my ass uh, wow. because they would have took me to jail if not they usually take you to one or the other right and um and i uh, i wasn't able to stay there and uh, i had already like called the rehab but i wasn't like ready for that yet but whenever I had a little bit of time under my belt, like of being clear headed, and then I came back to the house that I was staying and they were like, you can't stay here anymore because you just overdosed and almost died in our house, which is understandable. I right. uh, kind of had to, I had to go. So, um, but I'm going to jump. I, I told you I'm horrible at telling linear stories. Before I moved into this place, um, there was actually a shooting at my last apartment uh, because I was, I was selling drugs and this guy decided to rob me and they ended okay. up shooting my, my neighbor. And oh my God. Um, yeah, four people got shot at my apartment and I was able to hide everything. But basically, um, suffice to say, like I've been in a lot of close shaves with either being arrested or dying. Like, you know, I, whenever I got robbed, I had like a gun in the back of my head. They were all really like high and um, were threatening to kill us all. And one of the guys was saying, like, I'm trying to, like, catch a body tonight. Like, he wanted to kill someone. And they Jeez. ended up shooting my neighbor for being on the phone. Uh, I don't even think he was on the phone with the cops. I think they just saw him on the phone and they shot him. And then uh, my neighbors shot uh, back at them. And so four people in total uh, oh went to the hospital. Yeah. So basically, so I, so back to um, whenever I get out of the psych ward, I find a rehab i had a friend that used to be a heroin addict and i had talked to him about trying to get better and i didn't really have another place to go you know so mm -hmm. i flew out to a rehab in florida they actually paid for my um for my flight and um i stayed out there for a while um whenever i got to the rehab i uh, stayed for as long as they would let me and at this point you know i had kind of um wanted to like I, uh, I understood more about the importance of having a personal relationship with god and something um, even though like in the aa and stuff it's like 
could be seen, I guess, as an impersonal God or like a perennialist kind of God. It's just like this higher power. Right. And, but it's still, but it's still like, I still did see people kind of change because they were looking up to the divine. Mm -hmm. And so I thought that there's something to that. And then I went to halfway house and was doing pretty good there for a while. And, uh, ended up moving with a friend from work after a year or so. So I had, I'd had like about a year and a half clean until I actually got my own place. And, um, I uh, was doing pretty good there. And then I started, I was like part of the music scene out there. I was producing mainly for, for rappers. Like my, my, I like to do metal. Like I, I make music, but I uh, know how to produce as well, like electronic mm -hmm. music and, making trap beats is super easy so it was just something i did for fun but i was you know with a lot of those people and they were doing drugs a lot so i kind of started getting back into that and i moved the same girlfriend that cheated on me i was a dumbass and moved her out to florida and she did the same thing again and so i relapsed and i actually od'd again uh and in florida the um the, the heroin is not actually heroin it's all fentanyl yeah so yeah i uh i there in the, the in west palm beach which is where i was at like you can I just grew walk up in around. West Palm Beach. <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> nice. Yeah, I will. I was like in a, you know, like mainly Lake Worth area. Okay, and, um, I went to Lake Worth yeah. High School. <laughs> oh, sick. sick! There's some there's some good parts of West Palm Beach, but it's like super fentanyl ridden right now. Yeah, and, um, yeah. There were pain clinics on like every corner, and I oh, lost yeah. a lot of people and a lot of friends to addiction. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's brutal out there. I mean, it's the rehab center of the world. So it yes. also kind of makes sense that it's also the, you know, opiate center of the world. Correct. And it's very easy to get. And I don't know if you've been there in a while, but um, you can just walk around, um, especially like on military trail, you can just walk around <laughs> and I can guarantee you someone will ask you if you like want to party, which means. Uh, oh, yeah. Yes, that's fentanyl. Florida's always <laughs> been like that for as long yeah. as I, I lived there. There was a place. I don't know. If, do you know Clematis Street in West Palm yeah, Beach? Yeah. All right. Yeah, so yeah. if you go past Clematis, if you go up a little way, you, you get to like Tamarind Avenue. That's like crackhead yep. city. And it's so funny how in West Palm Beach, you, there's like affluence, extreme wealth. And then there's like Tamarind Avenue, like crack houses all like yeah. within the same proximity. It's so it's so weird. It's it's, um, yeah, it's strange because other places are like kind of segregated in terms of like class and stuff. Like there'll be like, yes, you know, you'll have like at least a little bit of distance from like the deep hood where bad things are happening and then like right. you know, the city where you can do stuff. And Florida, it's like all kind of melded together unless you're like <laughs> in like Boca or like Palm Beach Island or, or the something. island. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Boca is where like the elderly go to retire. <laughs> Yeah, the, the, um, the Jewish people from New York and stuff. Yes, exactly. They come for six <laughs> months. Yeah. 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 It was an interesting time for sure. I saw some funny things. I mean, I'm not like, you know, I, some, I mean, it's not like mental illness is not funny, but it's, you know, I, I had seen some things that made me giggle a little bit. Like I saw a man like box a bus stop. I'm sure he was like on drugs or something, but he was yes. like, it was like a, like one of those, um, like lawyer, um, ads that are on the side of the bus stop and he was like punching it and like trying to fight the lawyer i don't know if he like he didn't represent him well or something but it was really funny oh but yeah uh, yeah so like i, I was uh, you know we were throwing shows and stuff and it basically yeah my my girlfriend that i was an idiot 
um, and decided to fly her out there. She ended up cheating on me like right after I moved her down there. And so I decided that it was a good idea to try to go find uh, drugs. So I went to a gas station and there's a bunch of people posted up and they asked me if I want, wanted something. And, um, you know, I, I bought some from them and they were, they were asking me if I was a cop and I was like, no, uh, I, do I like look like a cop? Like I have like, you know, hand tattoos and like, I don't know. It's just like, it was, it was strange. And then they said, uh, we want you to do this in front of us. So I was like, okay. Right. So I, I busted open the pill and was about to snort it. And they were like, no, you need to shoot it up. And I was like, no, I haven't done this in a long time. I, you know, and this is fentanyl too. And I was like, no, I haven't done this in a long time. And they had me in a car and I'm kind of like, I'm in the middle, I'm in the middle seat in the back seat. And there's right. two, two dudes, like two Haitian, like gang member dudes on each side of me. And they're like, no, you're going to shoot it up. Yeah. They're so like, <laughs> those this guys scary, are serious. Fuck yeah. 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 So like, I, um, you know, I, I, I was like, all right, well, I guess I'll do it. So like, I just, he loaded it up and then I shot just a super small amount in my arm. And then I like, they saw me do it. So they kind of like turned away like I was good. And then I squared the rest of it on the ground. And then immediately I fell out. And then I, I woke up to people screaming and I was back in my car and all of my, all of my shit was gone. Of course. And this, I just see, I wake up to this black dude punching me in the face and I was like, Whoa, what's going on? And like, I guess they Narcan me cause someone threatened to call the cops cause they saw them like picking me up, putting me in my car. And, like, taking oh, wow. stuff. Yeah. So like, I'm like super disoriented. Um, you know, thank God someone Narcan me, but I just start kind of driving. And then I realized that all of my shit's gone. And I was like, did I just get robbed? So I was like, hell no. So I turned around and then I'm like, I don't even know why I turned around. Honestly, I should have just dipped out, but, uh, I turned around and then I like rammed into the curb and then I see a cop pull up behind me. And so they get, they get out and they say like, what's going on? And I just kind of broke down. I told them everything. I was like, you know, I've been doing really good. I relapsed. I messed up. I, you can take me to jail. They just took my laptop and I have all my music on there. Uh, like if you can just get that for me and, uh, then, you know, you can, I don't have any drugs on me, but if you need to put me in jail, you can. And, uh, she looked at me and like her presence completely like calmed me when I was like freaking out. And she was like, you need to get home and you need to never do this again. She got me my laptop and I went wow. back to my house and I had to tell all my friends that I, you know, fucked up. And, um, you know, it was, it was, he was humiliating, honestly, you know, cause everyone was looking for me. No one knew where I was. I was out for a couple hours and, um, you know, so it was, it was sad. And, um, I went back to, I, I did like a detox again and, um, I came back and, uh, I had stayed off of that stuff. And then, uh, I ended up getting in like a long-term relationship with uh, my fiance now, but we were, um, she, she came and visited me in Florida. We had known each other for a very long time. And, uh, so I decided to move back here. I'm in, I'm in Texas, but I decided to move back here and it was around the time that COVID hit and it was just kind of Florida at that point had served its purpose for me. Um, 
you know, I had gotten, I, I had been, you know, through the ringer and I got off of the yeah. stuff that I came there to be there for. And I didn't want to get like stuck there. So I came back to see, you know, my friends and family and I moved back here and the COVID stuff was happening and it was kind of chaotic and I didn't know where I was going to go. So I moved in with some friends and, um, I kind of slowly started, um, getting back into the dumb shit that I was doing. And I was like, you know, I was practicing like, um, like hermetic magic and even some like, like Thelema kind of stuff, um, mainly in like sigil magic and stuff. Yeah. And, um, and like, you know, there's just kind of this like dark darkness around me and like, Mm -hmm. and I was doing these things for, you know, answers and to, to make my life better. Um, but I had found no like spiritual solace in it really. Like my, like anxiety and my anger and my confusion at the world and all of these things that I like wanted to change, it didn't like help any of it. It actually made it a lot worse. And uh, I had a friend uh, who actually was into the occult um, and we used to study things together a while back. He got received into the Orthodox church. And so I remember talking to him, I was like, what's the deal with this orthodoxy stuff like i thought you were into mysticism um why are you a christian and, and like he like he kind of broke it down for me a little bit and i, I was interested and in i thought i thought the aesthetics were really cool and i thought that it was cool that they still had a monastic tradition and a uh, mm-hmm. mystic tradition but uh, that's as far as i really looked into it um i just kind of kept in the back of my head but, but my roommate ali uh, she um started going to an orthodox cathedral and i kind of it was interesting i like saw her change you know and right she uh just was all of a sudden a lot more peaceful and she like loved christ and uh we would kind of have little like debates about um you know occultism and christianity and i was like okay well there's definitely something to this christianity stuff um you know i respect it think it's a a venerable tradition um but i couldn't believe that you know like you know i um you know i think jesus was like a good guy like an ascended mystic or something like (laughs) ascended master (laughs) yeah yeah and so yeah yeah and i was like but you know i don't know if i can believe that you know he's god and but you know it was we had some interesting conversations about it but it was less less the debating that really intrigued Mm -hmm. me and more of just like seeing an actual change in someone Yes, and, um, I think that's know, so true. And which is like, you know, and that's that also is why I think that, you know, the lives of saints and things like that are way more important. I, I not I guess I can, can't say more important, but on a practical level, um, more applicable to your average person and say like deep mm-hmm. theological writings. Right. Not that those things don't matter, not that there's not a place for it, but you know, if like if like an illiterate person can't understand it then you know and christ came to like save everyone so like in those like you know the the practical like life of someone orienting orienting themselves directly to god the the most they can i think that that has more power you know uh to a lot of people than um you know the philosophical stuff so anyways um yeah so i started seeing this change in her and i um started like i was really depressed at this point because we were kind of shut in and weren't really able to work as much and you know the covid nonsense like you know we all knew it was you know bullshit and you know we've I, i've known for a very long time that you know these people 
have been pushing for global control and they kind of found or create an excuse to really implement it. And um, it just kind of was, it it was kind of, I don't know, it was just kind of making me really depressed. And so I started doing meth actually of all things, which, you know, I was starting to do hard drugs again and going down that same road that I've been. And I uh, was having a hard time stopping. And like I said, I was uh, on Xanax and Subutex at this point. Um, Jeez. Like there was, it was a doctor in Florida that actually prescribed it to me, but obviously, but Florida uh, he, doctors. He had, me, <laughs> he had me on, he had me on four milligrams of Xanax a day, which what? is like a lot. Yeah. Oh my and, God. And, you know, yeah. um, detoxing from Xanax is like one of the hardest things people can do. That's where the seizures come from and stuff. I knew yeah. a girl in Florida that was like, that for some reason had been prescribed tons of Xanax with like pain medicine and stuff. And um, that was like the hardest part for her was getting off of Xanax. Yeah, it was it was brutal. Um, but yeah, so I was uh, I was doing meth and practicing magic, um, you know, just soup things that like I look back on um, that it's it just kind of makes me cringe, really. Right. And um, but I remember there was one day in particular that my friend and I were talking and I had felt this kind of internal war within myself. And there was one side of me that was like, there, this is true. Like, like Christ is really God. There is something to this. This is real. And there was another side of me that was like fighting against that. Like, no, it's not, don't even go there. And it was very strange. And I was really high on meth. I was very depressed and I was doing all this dumb shit again. And I just broke down. Like I just started crying. And, um, you know, basically I was like, please forgive me. Um, you know, I know that you're real. I know that all of this is real, you know, have mercy on me, you know, serious like repentance. Like, I don't know. Um, it just, something overcame me. And, um, I like felt like the, like some kind of hand of God touched my heart and completely calm me of all my anxieties. And like, I just kind of felt like, um, God tell me, follow me. And so I, um, I got up and I talked to Allie, my friend, and I told her, uh, this is what I'm going to do now. I'm going to go to church with you this Sunday. And this is what I need to do for my life. And, um, it was, it was an immediate thing. And so, um, we all went to church together, um, her, my fiance and I, and, um, we uh you know i we started our catechesis very shortly after that and uh we haven't really turned back since and since that point you know like i said earlier there was this weeding out of you know the the xanax was the first thing to go Mm -hmm. um and that was hell so this is actually really interesting so the i when by the time i decided that i needed to quit that stuff i had um did a cold turkey the first time and i was like I had no withdrawal whatsoever. And it was really surprising because I'd been on it for over a year. Wow. And I remember after church, after church, I was like, um, this, like, this is awesome. Glory to God. Like, I don't feel bad at all. This is really unheard of, you know, chemically that would not make sense. Right. And so, uh, but like a dumbass, I was, I ended up, you know, talking myself into getting just one more, oh. one more month. And so, and, it, and I actually, cause I was like, I can just wean myself down. Cause I still did, still had a little bit of anxiety, you know? And I was like, you know, it's like, yeah, I, uh, so 
I decided to wean myself down. And then whenever I got out of that prescription, like seizures, like crazy, um, wow. you know, I was like shaking in my sleep. And then I, uh, was having seizures while I was like up just like small ones, but it was concerning. And so I was withdrawing really bad. And so, um, my friend had some Finibit, um, which is basically, it's like a legal, um, research chemical that works on the same receptors as alcohol and Xanax. And so I took like a little bit of that while I was withdrawing, which was a terrible idea because right. I guess I took too much and that crossed over with the Xanax withdrawal. Oh. And I had the most brutal seizures. Like I had to go to the hospital. I was falling in and out. Um, and I thought I was going to die. I was like praying the Jesus prayer with my, with my rope. And I, uh, you know, I, my, my, I, I was like, you know, I was being punished by God, really, honestly. I was just going to um, say, almost like the Lord was sending you a message. <laughs> yeah, like I should have listened the first time, but he was like, uh, yeah, this is against my will and you got to know that. So yeah. after that, after I'd went through that, um, you know, I decided that I needed to get off the subutex too. And I was like, all right, well, I've done all, I went through the seizures. That was like a week uh, or like I had a week long recovery after that because my brain was kind of fried after having so many seizures and I was having a hard time walking and my hand was switching and stuff and it was really bad, but I decided that I needed to go for the next thing. And so that was uh, really brutal as well. Actually, I think the Subutex in total was worse than the Xanax withdrawals because like I said before, it was 30 days and I couldn't eat or drink anything without throwing up. Um, and it was, it was, it was brutal. Um, you know, but I had to weed these things out and I, um, you know, I, I struggled with that. I was using uh, kratom to to help with those, and it mm -hmm. actually it did end up helping uh, later on. But I couldn't even keep that down. Um, oh. That yeah, stuff and it is was, gross. Yeah. To be fair, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it tastes disgusting. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> yeah, and so and like, you know, I got I got through that after about thirty days, and. Um, you know, I haven't, I haven't touched either of those things or, um, any like actual drugs, uh, since then. Um, there was a period of time where like I tried smoking weed, um, once and I hated it. And so I don't, yeah, I'm done with yeah. all that stuff, but I mean, yeah, it's amazing. Cause I mean, I would not be able to do any of those things on my own will because my own will is extremely weak. Right. And, um, just from like the point where I was, that was a year ago, actually. Um, okay. Today. So like, yeah, sorry. I came into the church early September last year. So throughout that, that, uh, this past year, um, a lot of my life is, is changed. And like me and my fiance and I, who both come from, you know, um, backgrounds that are extremely anti-Christian. Um, the fact that like, we're able to, you know, devote our lives, you know, to God, and, uh, you know, the and through the Orthodox Church is nothing short of a miracle. And I think that right now, um, Christ is bringing in a lot of people um, from a, a lot of different types of, you know, backgrounds, people who actually have, like, who do want to seek the truth. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but I think there's a reason for that. I think that there's a pull from both sides. Obviously, the, the rulers of darkness in this world um, have been making their moves in a way that's unprecedented. Um, and I think that there's also kind of, I don't know, it, it, there's whenever one side is 
working like whenever the, the demons are working god is working even more so mm-hmm. you know so i think we're we're in for some interesting times for sure but um you know the good guys are are on our side i think that's absolutely true um you know i think that most of the the experiences that i had at least um using drugs it was just really i think trying to self medicate right um and you know like you said um what you're when you self medicate like that you're just kind of like treating the the symptoms not the root issue and once those drugs wear off you're right back to feeling the same thing or it's like escapism or you just don't want to feel anything at all um but that never works and it never solves anything and you can't do that for the rest of your life and then you get to the point where you ruin your life um <laughs> and have to start all over again and you can't do it on your own you have to rely on Christ and you have to um turn your life over to him and i think that that's quite quite right i know that um in substance abuse modality there isn't really anything that addresses the spiritual part i mean there is sort of with like aa but it's not what people need it's just like an acknowledgement of it um and i would be really happy to see like a uh, an orthodox recovery center <laughs> yeah you know, yeah. or something that incorporates it. We're like, because I think for many addicts, there's a lot of like shame. There's a lot of self-hatred and self-loathing, but there's also a sort of like aimlessness and like, what am I doing with my life? Cause they're constantly running from responsibility and from pain or suffering or anything difficult. Um, and I think that there, there would be something special about like working in the church or like helping do things like manual labor around the church or something that could really like help them and give them something to do because we know of course idle hands are a problem but i think it yeah. would give people a sense of like purpose and accomplishment uh and i think that that could be helpful yeah and well it yeah, I mean, the, there's a there's an issue with the recovery centers in America and the West. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, all over the world. I mean, the, the whole world is basically the West at this point. But like, there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, the there's a problem with the rehab centers. I mean, their their recovery rate is so small, and they they'll acknowledge that when you're in rehab, they'll tell you that you know a very small percentage of you people are going to stay clean. Right. And with me, you know, I mean, I could on my own will, I could do it for a little bit. You know, I could like, uh, there was multiple times where, you know, I got clean, I, I did it on my own will and I, but it always ends up failing or you're going to fall into another type of addiction. Like right. even whenever I wasn't like, even when I wasn't using drugs, I was still like watching porn. I was doing something that like satiated this like um, problem within myself that is really the, the root. It's never the actual thing that you're using to alleviate this issue. It's always, you know, something behind that. And I know in Russia, there are, there are actual, um, you know, Orthodox recovery centers. There's actually a, um, a miraculous icon, um, of the, the inexhaustible cup where it has uh, the Theotokos and then there's Christ inside of a chalice. I know that there is some kind of miracle working icon at uh, a recovery center that actually has helped a lot of, a lot of addicts. So like, and I'm sure that that has a way higher, you know, recovery rate because it's not, 
like just acknowledging that there's something above yourself and that, that God is, you know, God is real, doesn't really do anything for you in a sense that like it's healing you internally. You, like right. the church is a hospital. And like, whereas like, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm no one to say that no one can have an experience of Christ, um, you know, without the confines of the Orthodox church. I think that the Orthodox, I mean, I know that the Orthodox church has um, the, the full, you know, encompassing healing aspect, like, but, you know, just acknowledging these things and having like, even like autobiographical details about Christ doesn't actually, um, you don't actually encounter Christ in that. And so I think that in the future, I mean, hopefully in America, as orthodoxy grows, there will be more of an emphasis on, you know, healing people. And hopefully, I mean, it'd be awesome to have centers um, that are, you know, orthodox based Mm -hmm. that I, I think it could really help people because nothing has been able to keep me out out of that and also want to work on myself and get me closer to you know god other than being in being in the life of the church and you know growing in the church and really understanding the way that these things work and these you know these demons and uh the way that god heals us and helps us um through through christ so yeah i think that that's true i mean that's something that I'm sure there are there's something like this. I don't know if it's the Orthodox Church doing it, but I do know there's probably something like that in America. Um, but I don't. I would like to see the Orthodox do something like that. Um, right. I think it would be fantastic. And I'm sure there's some there's issues to consider. You know, I one of the things I thought about would be like having them work on icons. And then I thought about that and I was like, no, mm-hmm. no, really, like to be able to work on icons, you have to be, um, you know, you have to be in the church for a long time to be able to, to depict that properly um, right. and to get that blessing from the Holy Spirit. But there are things that they could do. And I just you know, this is something that is, I think it's important to me. I'll say, <laughs> I think right, it's a yeah, good no. idea. This is something that I felt like, um, like God was telling me should be a thing, you know, right, yeah. no, especially should, yeah. in these, these interviews that I've been doing, talking to individual people and hearing their stories. I just keep coming back to that. Like there needs to be a modality that addresses all of these things that is yeah. accepted and like, um, used widely because yeah rehabs in america are horrible there was one in florida called like renaissance yeah they're they're scams they renaissance i think it was renaissance they their um fee is like six figures and they take your kids and they tell you not to have any contact with them um like while they're in treatment and they encourage people to like cut cut them off right financially emotionally like don't have any contact with them and like this is why they're failing and they're not um successful in their recoveries because they don't have a proper support system because their family members have been taught to be distrustful of them to not have contact with them when they need the exact opposite they need love they need forgiveness they need understanding um and acceptance and like the (laughs) the rehabs tell people to do like the exact opposite. And I think that's very sad. And yeah, I mean, it's about, it's about healing, you know, it's about, we're in America, 
we're very spiritually weak and spiritually sick. Uh, mm-hmm. We're filled with so much nonsense constantly um, that it's it fragments the person, and um, and we're given so many vices and passions and access to all of these things constantly through all different types of media and um you know and we're so far from christ that it's uh people need actual healing not it, the, the like i said earlier like the drugs are just a, a symptom i mean it's just a it's just a reaction to this sickness this like festering illness inside of your soul and it doesn't do anything to just try to help people to not engage in certain behaviors because they'll end up falling into it again. And with this, speaking about the scams in Florida, did you ever hear about uh, Kenneth Chapman? Mm-mm. So he established a lot of rehabs and halfway houses in Florida. Oh, and okay. what he did was he basically would have halfway houses that you could get high at and he would give you drugs and give you money. He would pimp out the girls and he would let you get high for probably like a a certain amount of time. And then he would send you out to rehabs to go basically uh, send people into his halfway houses and tell like he would send people from the halfway house to rehab to get people to come to the halfway houses after rehab, tell them they can get high, do what they want to. (laughs) And then he would just it was just a scam, an insurance scam constantly. He ended up getting arrested, but those things do still exist. And I, I met someone in rehab that had been, you know, to one of his things. I mean, it's really taking advantage of, you know, drug addicts. And it's oh, really, yeah. really dark, dark industry. And a lot of those places, I mean, even if they are like 12 step based or whatever, I mean, it, it all really centers around the insurance money. Um, uh, exactly. <laughs> and it's not really about, you know, helping these people. I mean, they'll kick you out if you're using, but they don't give people really the tools that they need. And so there's there's the recovery rate, even in AA is super small. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that it's like, like you were saying earlier, um, it, it's just like acknowledging God. It doesn't actually have to anything to do with, you know, Christ and things. And it's, it's really hard for a lot of people I understand to, and it was hard for me to like accept Christ, but this was necessary. You know um, I think even the guy, the guy who ran a, he started off as an atheist and ended up being a Catholic, but I mean, yeah, yeah I mean, you can't, I don't know, just like a, a, a general idea of like some kind of higher power that doesn't save your soul and it doesn't do anything for you on earth either. Yeah, that's right. Um, and there are other like issues surrounding like AA. Um, yeah, there are like I, I know at least in the NA, um, there were people that would just like hang out in the parking lots trying to sell drugs to people that were leaving. That's a huge of problem, course. especially in South Florida. Um, and then there were people that would just kind of lie. <laughs> there mm-hmm. were um, people that would kind of go there and, uh, you know, just like to to feed their ego and like self-congratulations like oh yeah yeah, you've been clean for five weeks congratulations um it's just just like weird stuff you know um yeah yeah. that's um that's my feelings on that and i really do wish that there was something better 
that could be done. Uh, I think that addiction is a huge epidemic in America. I do think that that is an indictment of our spiritual health as a nation and our yeah. mental health as a nation. You know, just look how many Americans are medicated that are on some kind right. of medication. Yeah, yeah, it's the same thing. It's the same issue trying to treat symptoms, but not getting to the root of that, of what is causing mm -hmm. this illness. Um, you know, as far as mental health goes, I think that there is sort of a connection there between addiction and mental health issues. I think a lot of time people have undiagnosed mental health issues that they are self-medicating for. And I think that those undiagnosed mental health issues actually have a spiritual root and a spiritual cause that has not right. been acknowledged by the psychiatry industry. And, um, you know, I think about how in the Soviet Union, psychiatry was weaponized to persecute political dissidents. Um, you know, in America now and around the world with COVID, they're sort of like weaponizing public health in a very similar way uh, that's very disturbing. And I think that really um, it's the same thing. Yeah, that none of it's these things the are about helping anybody. It's about profiting, about making money for big pharma and for politicians who take money from them. And um, mm -hmm. I think that uh, as this gets and I think it will get worse, I think that uh, the only yeah. option and the only choice is getting into the church because you know, as Christians, we are told that we will face persecution and suffer, you know, yep. in this world. That's what we're guaranteed in this world. Um, yep. And I think that uh, from suffering, you can grow immensely. And I think that the, these things that you've experienced, that I've experienced, I think they happen for a reason. And I think that they can make a person very resilient. Mm-hmm. You know, but also you can understand other people and probably have empathy for them in a way that other people may not, that have not experienced that kind of hell. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I think that uh, God allows these things to happen for a reason. And sometimes it's to, to bring us back to him and to recognize that we cannot do anything on our own and that we are weak. Yeah. And well, I mean, yeah, God, God chases us down for yeah. sure i mean like i mean I, I i didn't see it you know the multiple times that i almost died and I, it was like glaring me in the face i didn't see it because i i was spiritually blind but yeah i mean um god's really searching and seeking for for everyone and uh the times right now are really are really depressing you know it's like if i didn't have if i didn't go come into the church whenever i did um i would be you know insanely depressed right now because you know, and, and it's sad because the the like you're saying the the health industry, falsely so called, is playing off of people's innate fear of death because people are scared of what comes after. You know, so they're playing off of that, and that's and using people's fear to uh, get what they want. And you're right. I mean, we are called to participate in the suffering of Christ, and it's a I mean, it's a pretty radical belief, honestly, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? Like, and that's something that is absent. And I, I think a lot of other, um, and, and forms of, uh, Christianity, um, but yeah, we are called to participate in the suffering and we're told every liturgy, um, you know, blessed are those who are persecuted. And I think that yes. through, through that, through the persecution that's to come, which I think is undeniable. And I, I know that right. there's a lot of, there's issues with 
obviously with, you know, hierarchy and stuff right now that I think we'll get ferreted out eventually mm-hmm. um, as things get more intense. But um, yeah, I mean, we, uh, we are called to, to suffer. And I think through that persecution, our faith grows stronger and through persecution, we get saints. So, you know, yeah. we have to really focus on, um, you know, our own repentance as Christians and, uh, you know, the only way that we can get through this and if the only way that this won't culminate in the coming of the antichrist is if people repent because that pattern is starting to play out. You know, I'm not, I don't believe that the vaccine is the mark of the beast, but it's no, obviously a type, it's a type of that story playing out. And mm-hmm. I think that these things can grow larger and larger until they culminate in the actual ending of it all. But um, yeah, the only way that that will change um, is if, is if we repent and that's on a personal level and that's on a, you know, on a collective level too. And um, I think there's a, a call for repentance that is, um, is needed. And so I think, and I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, Christ is, is bringing people in. Um, I mean, he'll bring anyone in who's, who's ready to repent, you know, and that was definitely my case. I mean, I'm in no way worthy through all the things that I've done and been through and it just it blows my mind but you know it's just it just goes to show that um you know his mercy knows no bounds and um even in even in times like this whenever i mean i i think michael whitcoff has even said before you know america's worse than sodom right now um yeah you know and so hopefully you know uh america can repent and i think there is enough people who know what's going on who just don't know um the way to go and so we need to be like a beacon of that to the world. Amen. That's absolutely true. Um, I think that uh, there's that book, right, about the Russian catacomb saints. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it says uh, like today, Russia, tomorrow, America. And I think that yeah. that is absolutely true. Um, yeah. yeah. Today, America. <laughs> or yet, uh, yeah, yesterday, Russia, today, America. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. I think that's very, very very true uh, as that unfortunate as that sounds. And I, but I do think that people need to repent. I don't think there is any other answer. Um, You know, Michael and I have discussed uh, the, the lack of political options available to us and how the, after world war II, the system uh, reorganized itself to specifically prevent something like an opposition to that force of communism from ever being able to gain the momentum to successfully oppose it. Right. Right. They have mechanisms in place to prevent that. And so there, if there are no political options and that, that isn't necessarily a solution anyways, what is the solution? We all know it, that it's spiritual and it it is on an individual level. And um, you know, I think that small like-minded communities Right. That's and it's like, you go. know, I, I, there was a point in time where I was, I was interested in like, you know, the fashion kind of stuff. Um, and I have, you know, friends that um, are and try to, you know, get them out of that. But it's like, you can become so, you know, just like enamored with the darkness of this world that yep. you become that very same darkness in the like delusion that you're opposing it. And that's yes. the way that I kind of see the, the NS stuff. Is yes like, absolutely it's just, you know racial idolatry like obviously like we know what's up with you know the jq and stuff and you know but that's not going to save you like no th- these these things are all 
directly connected to a spiritual issue. And the reason that, you know, I'm trying to get your stuff banned or anything. The reason that these certain people are in power is because they have directly opposed themselves, you know, to Christ. To God. Yeah. Right. Like God came down and, you know, people reject him. So Satan gives them the world. Mm -hmm. And, um, but, but that, but that knowledge that certain groups may be doing certain things does not save you and being in opposition to evil doesn't make you not evil either because the devil the devil can use all types of tricks you know and i and there is no political solution you know i I had you know looked a lot into political solutions and at uh you know one point i really believed that you know we could have some kind of you know savior but like you said yeah they they have set up a system they have set up like a, a system where you can't really um do anything outside of it and there are certain there are certain examples that will be used to prevent anything like that from ever happening again. Yes. Um, so, exactly. <laughs> like, January you know. 6th. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. Okay. <laughs> that, that, yeah. That whole thing. Yeah. That was, you know, such a setup. I know. And I was actually really stoked whenever it happened. Um, and then I, I remember thinking in the back of my head, like, is this like a honeypot? I don't know. But I was yes. like, yes, we're going to. Yeah, I was like, yeah, that's awesome. People were actually standing up. And then it just kind of showed itself to, you know, I was driving around not, like I, after that happened. I remember seeing a billboard um, looking for someone in my area. Yeah. Face how on sick. A billboard and, and I was like, all right, that's where we're at. That's you know? where we're at. Exactly. And, and you know, my, my work is trying to get me. Uh, vaccinated i'm gonna go for the religious exemption but i'm going to electrician school soon and they're not really doing that with okay. trades right now which is good but yeah my, i work for a big um tool company and uh they're very globo homo of course and, uh, yeah they like sat us down and tried to convince us to take it and there was like this actor in a lab coat that was basically saying all of the data shows that it's very safe like some people say that this causes infertility that's simply not true. All scientists agree. And he didn't like show any data. And I, you know, I thought I was losing my mind. I was about to walk out. I was like, what? Trust the it's lab just, it's, dude, it's getting so bizarre. And like, you know, and I talked to uh, like, it, it, like, you know, apparently they're going to do mandates in November. I, I'm, not taking that, I'm not taking that shit. No I'm not what, taking you know, it. They, I will not. If, they, if I'm homeless, you know, that's just, that's what's supposed to happen. I will not but, comply. Right. But it's, it's getting serious. And I actually, um, the other day I was eating uh, lunch with my catechist and he is, he's a proto-deacon. He will probably be elevated to priest soon, which is awesome, but he knows everything that's going on. Yeah. Uh, he, he gives me a lot of hope because he, um, he gave me some religious exemption documents, one that was signed by a bishop who will be canonized as a saint eventually. Um, and because we, we, his body was found incorrupt and we actually have him at the cathedral. But Isn't that amazing? Anyways, yeah, as yeah. a side and note, so he actually well, he actually uh, in 2015 before or not, I don't, I might it might be before then, but at some point relatively recently before he passed, he actually signed a uh, synodal statement saying um, that Orthodox Christians should not take vaccines that have had any involvement in aborted fetal cell lines. Yes, which is just insane. Which is awesome that he had that foresight, right? Because you know that i don't know that that is that is awesome so Glory yeah um, God. he know he knows everything that's going on and um you know it gives me hope because i i had fallen into despair because there's certain people in you know our hierarchy that 
I don't think that it comes from a place of, you know, even like cowardice. I don't think, I mean, some, some cases, yes, but I think it's like ignorance and people not being discerning and Correct. seeing the things that are they happening. Right. I think in front they're of being them. virtuous. Yes. Right. They it's, think it's they're like, doing the right thing. Yeah. But That's it's like, we need problem. to be more discerning <laughs> because are these people in control, like some people still think that the American ideal exists oh, because God. there's like this illusion and it's been, it's, it's gone. It's been gone for a, a while, you know? And like, I think, uh, Trump was the last instance of like the old American ideal that we'll mm-hmm. probably see. Um, and, um, you know, whether or not he was always controlled, I don't have the answer to. I mean, I supported him uh, mm-hmm. in, the, in the very beginning, especially. And I started kind of the more that things went on. I, he definitely did some good things, but he also didn't really do enough and totally gave up his people whenever he could have done something. But regardless, that he was the last instance of the American ideal. And he will also be used, I believe, the same way that Funny Mustache Man will be used Um to never let any opposition to the regime happen again. Yes. And to sort of demonize regular people as um, a threat to society, as a danger. Um, yeah. yeah, they they use them as a boogeyman and they've been doing it for a while. And, um, you know, I think Sorry, that's I very tell sad. You if that's intentional. I can't tell you if he was on it the whole right. time. I have no, it's just, it, I, I don't know, but it's definitely very strange. Yeah, it is. It's um... it's not, but it isn't good for a country. I was talking to my catechist about mm-hmm. this. Um, it isn't good for a country for like at least half of the population to believe that the election was rigged. Like that's not healthy for a country. That's that doesn't end right. in anything good. So right. I mean, at least there's enough opposition. I mean, I, you know, I'm I'm black filled in terms of like, you know, the this this world i mean i'm not, I'm not black pilled but like i'm accepting of the nature of things and how absurd things are getting mm-hmm. i mean our hope isn't isn't in this world at all but there is some sliver of a chance that um you know i don't know what i mean this this system is not going to work there has to be something else but um enough people i think are at least aware but you, like you're saying like demonizing normal people um that doesn't end well i mean that no it ends in a genocide (laughs) yeah right no exactly yeah yeah for sure genocide or civil war engineered civil war right whatever but yeah strange times for sure yeah and we know they use dialectics too so that's a big thing that they do they do the problem reaction solution um Mm -hmm. and uh they've done that historically to great success so i think that we have to be very very careful in the kinds of figures that we get behind. Um, and when we think that we are like being successful or winning, because in some cases we're playing right into their hand and giving them the, the fake boogeyman they need to be able to go, Oh, look at all these horrible people. Now we have to start rounding them up or now we have to start taking their kids from them or whatever. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't want to end on a negative note though. I want to end on right. a positive <laughs> right, note. Right. And I want to say, I uh, thank you for coming on and sharing your story, particularly um, your testimony about how the church really is responsible for kind of your success in getting off of drugs and in um, treating your addictions. And I think that if we apply that to society as a whole, that's the answer right there. Yeah. If you right. can be saved from the hell of addiction, then w- 
who's to say our country can't be saved from the hell of global homo? Right. Glory to God. Yeah. I mean, if this can, if this can help anyone, um, yeah, all glory is to God, you know, this is, uh, to, to none of my power and, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad to be able to have, to, to have been on the show and I'm, uh, thank you for having me on. Thank you. Thanks for participating and for sharing your story. I appreciate it. Yeah, of course.